The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com.
Amen. Thank you, Miss Meg. Meg, you're making a Christmas CD, right? Hint, hint. <laughs> yes, you should. Yeah, she definitely should. Thank you, Miss Meg, for always blessing us as you do. Well, I invite your attention this morning to John chapter 1 this morning, John chapter 1 and verse 11, John 1, 11 and 12. And uh, uh, we're going to do this a little bit differently. I'm going to give some intro here, but we're going to read our scripture at the first as we go and start through a study of what it means to receive Jesus Christ. It's very important that we get this down. And I've entitled this, uh, this uh, message called Cheap Grace. So uh, if you are able, if you will stand with me, and we're going to read this from the front today and do this a little bit different. Uh, John 1, 11 through 12 this morning. John 1, 11 through 12. Two verses coming to you as well. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. And it says, uh, actually, we'll back up to verse 9. It says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He, that is referring to Christ, of course, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who, verse 13 says, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Will you pray with me as we get started this morning? Father God, we are reminded that uh, you are the light of the world, that your Son was sent to give us light when we, so sinful as we were and continue to be are, were in darkness. But Father, I thank you that your Son is not just the, uh, some random guy that came, but he is the, the, the divine God-man who came to, to live, to die for us, Lord. May nothing else this season or any season excite us more than that you yourself have condescended, come down, tabernacled among us so that we might have eternal life. Father, may that be our impetus today as we study what it means to receive Christ. Father, we pray these things for the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, those are familiar verses to you, very familiar verses to you. We read these almost every Christmas time. It's something that we believe in. It's something that we hold to. But it's something that I think, as I've been studying through, uh, it's something that we need to really dig down into. What does it mean to receive Jesus Christ? So we're going to be looking at this in a very different way. We're going to be jumping around some scriptures and, and hold your Bible. But I think it's very important. But before we get there, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this man, maybe the, the, the name of the man, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Have you ever heard of that guy before? Very famous World War II uh, uh, Christian pastor who was executed, uh, sadly, by the uh, uh, German regime at the time. But he wrote a book called Cheap Grace. Has anyone ever read that book just out of curiosity? One hand. Aaron, you win the prize today, buddy, so congratulations. I don't know what the prize is, but you've won it, Aaron, so there you go. But he talks a lot about cheap grace, Bonhoeffer does. And you'll see his picture up on the screen. He's famous for this quote where it sa he says, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today, he said, for costly grace. A and cheap grace is just that. It's, it's an improper response to what Jesus has done for us. It's a response that says, yeah, I appreciate what you did, but I'm not really sure I really want to go that deep, Jesus. And Bonhoeffer in the 1930s and 40s saw cheap grace around his churches, wherever he went in, in that area of Germany, or at least that people were treating it cheaply. And I've read his book, and I agree greatly with it. But one thing I believe he did is he missed the point. 
he looked at the church and he said that most of the people were not living for Jesus Christ. But I think Bonhoeffer had a wrong presumption. He assumed that just because a church was a church, it really was a church. Does that make sense? He presumed that, that because someone professes Christ, it makes them a Christian. Just like you sitting in your garage tomorrow makes you a car, right? Not quite. Although some of you would love to be a transformer or something like that. But he was looking at Christians who are not following Christ and saying, there's something wrong here. And he looks at people who are professing Christ, but who are actually not Christian at all. And as we come to this Christmas season, we are around a season where this could not be more of a picture of 21st century America. So many people get so excited about what it means that a baby came in the manger. And actually, statistically, guests are more likely to come in Christmas because it's a safer kind of holiday. We used to talk about Easter Christians and Christmas Christians and twice a year people, but nowadays it's usually about once a year. But most people who proclaim Jesus Christ, Bonhoeffer is correct, are not actually following Jesus Christ. It's kind of like on Facebook, if this is still a thing where you have like 5,000 friends, and yeah, they're really, you have 5,000 friends. How about 5,000 people who you said okay to, and that's what it comes to be. But it brings us to a subject of regeneration, of being a Christian, that when someone is truly a Christian, they have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They have become a new creature and will live a new way. To receive Jesus, as John tells us, is to believe in Christ and be sanctified in Christ, to be led by Christ, to know Christ. And that's one of the problems that we have today. So many people, even with, perhaps within our church, say, well, I love to follow Jesus, but the Jesus they have perhaps is not the Jesus of the Bible. And that is true for many of your family members. That's true for many of your coworkers, that it's okay to be a Christian, but following him deeply is not on the reservoir. And if it doesn't act like a Christian, it's not a Christian. If it has the traits of a church but it doesn't act like a church, then it's not a church. I would invite you to turn with me, hold your spot in John, to Ezekiel chapter 36 as we look at this for just a moment. Ezekiel 36. And I want you to be reminded this morning about receiving this Jesus is not just something we do to do. We do it because it's required of us. And so we want to look at this very, very clearly. You know, I can recall several years ago, an apologist, uh, a man who defended the faith, said it this way. He said, we've got to do something about these Christian youth. All these Christians, youth, 75% of them don't believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. He said, we've got to do something about that. But there's a terrible error in his judgment. Do you know what it is? It's assuming that people who deny the, the, the coming of Christ are actually Christian at all. Friends, to receive Jesus means you receive Him for who He is, and it completely, uh, radically changes your life. You can't be a Christian and deny the Bible and fully embrace something the Bible never speaks of. You have to have what Ezekiel 36 says. Ezekiel 36, 26. Hear the word of the Lord as we talk about what it means to receive Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. Very familiar passage for many of you, but a necessary one as we go through. God speaking, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone 
and your heart of flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. What does it mean to receive Jesus Christ in a, in a culture that loves the concept of a cute baby and the manger? What does it mean? It means that God himself is really going to do something in your life. You ever wondered why the church has so many problems? It's because we believe just because someone says they're a Christian, they are really a Christian. Just because someone says, I go to church, I did this, I did that. But what God does here is He takes out that stone-cold heart and transfers it out. He exchanges it at the customer service line, if you will, of our eternity, and He takes it and He puts in a new heart. That is what a Christian is. And conversion is more than making a decision. Nelson, are you here? Nelson is somewhere back there. You know, Nelson, I was going to have you come up front, but you're in the back. Just pretend Nelson is up here, all right? And if I look at Nelson and I kick Nelson, I punch Nelson, I body slam Nelson. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you stayed back there, brother. <laughs> and I pinch Nelson and I scream at Nelson, what would he do? He would hit me right back, wouldn't he? I would hope so. But if Nelson is a, is a big stone, He's just a statue, and I kick Nelson, body slam Nelson. I'm going to be the one screaming at that point, right? But friends, that's how often we view so much about what it is to be a Christian, that if you are a statue, you can't respond to the things like Nelson can respond to because you have not been changed. You have not received Christ. And this is what God does when he saves someone. He takes out the unresponsive heart, that stone heart, and puts in a heart that responds to him. Look at verse 27 of Ezekiel 36. He tells us what it is to receive Christ. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Look, if we combine Ezekiel 36 with what we know from Jeremiah, we know that when God saves someone, they were going to walk in a different way. To receive Christ of the Bible is to radically change everything about how you do life. Boy, that flies in the face of a lot of American Christianity this time of year, doesn't it? To receive Christ is not just to get a warm fuzzy about a baby in a manger. To receive Christ is not just to feel closer to the divine because you see a statue of Jesus. To receive Christ is to radically change everything that you are. And if you're a Christian here today, you need to be reminded of that because you are different. You will be different, and you should be different. And that means that a church that is proclaiming that they're a church, will have people that act like a church. Not cheap grace, but costly grace. Grace that is so costly that every true child of God will follow after him. I mean, if you're in Sunday school this morning, doesn't it amaze you that God came and spoke to Jacob the way he did? I mean, think about this. Jacob was a rebel rouser. Jacob was a, a, a he, was, he was crazy. He was like the greatest con man ever up to that point. I mean, he was on the America's Most Wanted before there was America's Most Wanted. He was that bad. And yet God comes to him and says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Follow after me and you will be mine. And his life was radically changed because of that. This does not mean, of course, 
that Christians don't sin. It doesn't mean that a true Christian never has a dull heart. It doesn't mean to receive Christ that a true Christian never strays. But it does mean this, that if we really believe in the Jesus of the Bible, how we live is going to be so impacted by everything that has come into our lives, we cannot help but change. Look, that time of year is coming up on January 1st. You know what that is? You're going to start a resolution, amen? How many of y'all still got those exercise resolutions going, right? I'm going to go to the gym seven hours a day, five days a week, and that's going to be my full-time job. Yeah, how's that going for you? What it means is, is that sometimes we start things we don't finish. But when God starts something, He finishes it because that's who God is. And when God says, you will be mine and I will be yours, He does it because He is God. And you will see in a person who's received this Christ such a radical change that people are going to look at them and say, whoa, what happened to you? Well, I slept at a Holiday Inn last night or something like that. Not quite. The Spirit of the living God has exchanged it. And when they hear the voice of Christ, they want to follow after Christ. Friends, and that is the big idea. I told you it's a little bit different. Is that your Christianity is not just merely a cause to join. It's not let's get Merry Christmas back and everything. It's not let's get rid of those red cups at Starbucks if that's still a thing. It's not let's, let's get Christ back in Christmas. It is not a code to keep. It is a Christ to receive. That is what... Jesus Christ is all about. Because guess what? Culture changes come and go, but Christ stays forever. And there's no situation today that you'll face that you don't need to be reminded of that. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture, if you'll go with me. Go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. What does this look like? I mean, yeah, Darren, that sounds great. You mean receiving Christ. John talked about it. It was promised in the Old Testament. But I want, I want you to see what Paul's reaction was to this. Romans 1.16, very familiar passage, but I want to talk about this so much because, friends, it is so vital. It's so vital because as we come to this time of year, I am not against Christmas. Please hear that clearly, but I am against traditions that assume that everyone is a Christian just because they participate in said traditions. We need to be discerning, church. We need to be praying that this Christmas season, that God would give us the spiritual eyes to see, so to speak, the opportunities before us to call the bluff, to call repentance, to call people to say, look, are you following a Christ of culture, cheap grace, or are you following a Christ of the Bible, which is costly grace, which is going to radically change everything in your life? Romans 1.16. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Now, let's be honest. Paul had every reason to be ashamed of the gospel. You and I have every reason to be ashamed of the gospel. It's not popular. It's not going to get you anywhere in life, culturally speaking. But because the gospel contradicts everything in this life, if you're a single person here today, staying celibate before marriage is going to contradict every movie, every song, every book on the top ten list that you see on those gas station TV things at Sinclair uh, that I see every day of the dinosaur gas, we call it. It's going to contradict everything. 
If you're a married person here today, staying faithful to your spouse in thought, mind, and deed is going to radically shape everything of what it means to receive Jesus Christ. Church, everything we do here is diametrically opposed to every political ambition, to everything the culture can throw at us most of the time. Because the gospel is offensive. And if we're going to identify with Christ, you're going to have to put yourself in a place where you're going to suffer shame. To receive a Christ of culture, cheap grace, is to receive a Christ that everyone's okay with. To receive the biblical Christ is going to cost you something. When we live in a world that hates Christianity, that mocks the gospel, and a world that hates anyone that does this. I mean, think about this. Some of y'all remember a day and of an age where Christianity was the stronghold in everything. That there was still a moral fiber within the culture. Do you remember these days? I mean, it's true. You can look up the history of this. There were times, I'm not saying I had this debate as a youth pastor, I'm not going there, but generally speaking, there were times that when ladies wore a bikini, that they were considered mentally insane. Am I saying that today? No. But you understand that times have changed. And the opposition is getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and every year, it seems, is getting darker and darker and darker. So as a Christian that's received Christ, what are we to do? Well, if we're going to follow Christ, you must prepare. We must prepare to suffer shame for that. It may be at your Christmas table, those awkward conversations you're not supposed to talk about are what? Politics, right? Don't talk about that anyway. Leave that alone. Christ. But it may be that you are called by God this holiday season with a new heart, a new flesh, and a new desire that you have in Christ to share the gospel with friends and family in a way you've never shared before. And God may be pressing some of you to do that this holiday season. But look around. I mean, look what's going on. There are hate laws now. In Canada, it's been on the books for years that to preach against certain sins is to preach yourself into a jail cell, literally. Facebook it will, will cut off. We're on Facebook Live right now. There are times that, that things will be cut off because we simply speak the truth. Are we ready to count the cost that we have gotten for receiving Christ? In different places, in different times, if you try to evangelize other religions, you can go to prison. So, Darren, what are you getting at? This is something in the world Paul lived in. This is something in the world we live in and are now. But can I ask you a question today, Christian? Are you following Christ because that's what you've always done? Are you following Christ because you love Him? Are you following Christ because you desire His name to go to the nations to rebuke them of their sin? Are you following Christ because it looks good to your spouse or your family or whatever is before you? Will you follow Christ even if it costs your job, if it costs you your family, if it costs you your freedom or your life? Oh, that's a question to answer. Because to receive Christ of the Scriptures changes your perspective. Now, think about this for a second, but there are people who have no problem in the world about these things. They, they will sacrifice their status and, and, and will say, Christ, whatever it takes. But there's also other people who will say, I cannot count that cost. I will not count the cost to follow Jesus Christ. And they will look at the demands of Christ and say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to be with that. And they will have a friendship in the world because they have denied Christ. But Christian, can I challenge you this morning? 
Can I challenge you that as you go home today, and many of you will watch the Chiefs games, and that's not even going to be a game. You don't have to worry about it. It'll be fine. You'll be good. But can I challenge you today as you go to bed tonight, you have some quiet time today, even turn off the game for a little bit or, or all the way. Oops. <laughs> and just really ask the question, Lord, where am I with you? I've received you. I'm a Christian. But am I really walking with you? Am I really desiring to, to walk with you? And I want to say it again, are, are you really ready to walk with Christ? Many of you are. Praise God for that. But are we really ready to take this down? I mean, guys, we have every reason to be ashamed of the gospel. We do, because it's a burden to us. But if we're Christians and who've received Christ, it's a burden that's a great burden to have. Amen. And now we still have freedom, and while we have it, we must work, we must share the gospel, we must pray. Maybe the time of ju judgment will be delayed. I don't know, but we would just stay faithful for the task to receive Christ. But don't waste your life, church. Many of you are older, don't waste the retirement years. They have. Many of you are younger, don't waste your time. Many of you are married and we're so busy day to day. It's like surviving World War III, just getting kids to bed, praise God. But don't waste your life. Many of you have so many dreams of reaching the nations out there, but you won't even touch the nations that God has sent to you in your very own family. Or maybe it's the reverse. Don't waste your life. Serve Him with all you have. You have received Christ. What will change a nation, a man, or a woman? It's the sharing of the gospel. What will bring revival to a church like Tower View is the sharing of the gospel. Do you want to know how our problems in this church can be fixed? It's when every one of us stops doing this to each other and goes out there and talks about Jesus out there. When we receive Christ, we don't rely on something else. We don't rely on eloquent words or strategies. We rely on the power of the gospel to change lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Christ that you have received is big enough to take the task and challenges that God has given you in your life to take it and radically change it? Or have we just thrown up our hands and said, I don't know if God can work in this situation. For with God, nothing is impossible. Church, I would challenge us that we have lost the power of God for salvation. We have lost it. When we talk about salvation, we only think in one way. We, we think of justification. We think, check mark, we're done. We're going to heaven. Praise God. But God gives us three tenses. Salvation is in three tenses. Past. God saved me from the condemnation of sin. That's in the past. He's, he, in the present, He's saving me from the power of sin. He's sanctifying me. And then in the future, He will one day save me from the presence of sin. And thank you all so much. So many of you serve so faithfully to Carol, the Harlan family this week. Thank you for doing that. And praise God that Sister Carol, Brother Richard are rejoicing in heaven with God right now for all that He has done. But it is God who saves us. And as we walk with Christ sanctification is going to be the proof that we are growing and we are receiving all the blessings that come. But is that a reality in your life? Is He leading you? Is He teaching you? Is He growing you? Is He challenging you? Do you know that He's blessing you? He's disciplining you, the Lord says. Is He doing that in your life? Because that is what it's all about. To be saved, you repented and believed, but the repentance that saved me wasn't a repentance of a mature Christian. It was a childlike faith, and it was genuine. 
So go back to John chapter 1. I told you it's going to be a different type of message. But I really, and, and Amy, you can just skip to the, the scripture again there on the screen. Thank you. I want you to see this. What does it mean to receive Christ? Look back at John 1.11. God gives us a new heart. He changes it from a heart of flesh to a heart, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He, we should be ashamed of the gospel, but, but because this God has saved us, we receive the message. It radically changes our perspective, even though the culture is dark, but this is what it actually means. Look back at John 1, 11 and 12. It's up on the screen in really big letters uh, if you need to see it up there as well. It says, he came, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. So what does it mean to receive Christ? Well, I want to tell you what it does not mean. There's a form of evangelism today that goes something like this. Do you know that you're a sinner? And the person usually says, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Great. Do you know Christ died for you? Yes, I do. Do you want to go to heaven? Well, who doesn't want to go to heaven, right? Do you want to receive Jesus? Yes. And, and, and right there, they're saved magically. But I hope that we reject this kind of evangelism because do you see what verse 12 says? To believe in His name is to believe. It's not just some mechanical thing we do. To know the difference between someone who has cheap grace and costly grace is what they do with that belief that they have. That belief is saying to Christ, I receive you as you are. I don't understand everything that you are, Jesus, but I believe in you. I depend on you. I trust in you alone that it might be the master of my life. What a radical change, isn't it? Friends, if we want to reach our friends and family, we need to require more of them than a formulistic prayer that prays them into heaven. How many people do we know who have walked in a church, raised their hand, and walked out the back door never to be seen again. What does it mean to receive Christ? It means that a person throws themselves like a plane that's going down, 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 and they're going down, and just like they throw themselves at the mercy of a parachute, that person who knows Christ throws themselves at the mercy of Jesus alone to save them. So what does it mean? It means, let me put it to you this way. Imagine there's a big city. Uh, you like those, if Lord, any Lord of the Rings fans in here? It's like the second Lord of the Rings. It's been like, it's, wow, it's been 17 years since this movie came out. We've slept a little since then. But do you remember they're attacking the city? I don't even remember the names. You all know all this stuff. They're attacking the city and the, the orcs and everyone are coming in. And they're all there because the enemy's coming. But let's just say before the army arrives, a great king comes to the city, and he says to the city gate people, open the gate, let me in, and I will save you from this approaching army. But when I come in, I also have to be your king. Now, for most people, that's going to be a struggle, isn't it? Because they're going to look at that guy and say, who are you? What do you got? Who are you? But that's the way Jesus approaches us. We are walled up within our sin, and we are ready to cower down until the very last, and Jesus comes banging on the door. Let me in, and I will take over everything in your life and make it all better. If I come into your life, I will save you, 
But when I come in, I don't come in as a meek baby in a manger. I come in as the King of kings and Lord of lords, radically ready to change your life. That is the God that we serve. To receive Christ is to say to Jesus, you, I'm coming down from my throne and I'm going up. Jesus, you take the wheel because I'm dead in the back seat and I'm passed out and there's nothing I can do. And that's what it means to receive Christ, that everything we have is thrusted on him. Look back at John 1.11 again. It says he came to his own people. Historically, we know that was the Jews. He came to the Jewish people, his own people. But they didn't believe in his concept of Messiah. You know this well. Did they believe there would be a Savior? Yes. Did they believe that, that the Savior would come and do all that the Old Testament said? Yes. But the Savior they wanted and the Savior they got, as you know, were in opposition to each other. They told the, 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 the Romans at the time of Jesus' death that we will have no king over us but Caesar. Look, there's a belief today that you can believe in Jesus as Savior but not take Him as Lord. That's kind of like saying to your wife, I love you for the meals that you cook, but I don't want to see you, touch you, hold you, be around you for the rest of my life. As long as those meals are good, I love you, and you can stay in my house, just not in my bed. Now, how many husbands would be on the street within five minutes of you saying that? How about five seconds? The Jews rejected him as Savior. They rejected him as Lord. And if we're going to radically change our world, friends, then we must believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. What does it mean to have him as Savior? Some of, we can't think of what it is to live for Jesus because we feel our faith isn't as strong as other Christians. And that's wrong. Because we believe that when Jesus comes, that even if we have the smallest faith and repentance, that is enough to get us to heaven. As God saves you, he deepens you, and he strengthens you, and he grows you. That's what receiving Christ is all about. So that one day you'll have the faith and repentance of, of the greatest of the great. But to receive Christ is to take him as your sustenance. It's not to take Jesus as an accessory. Can I say that? I have an accessory. Do you have an accessory? We have smartphones. People are like attached like a second appendage now or fifth appendage now, you know. My son, I, this is probably bad parenting. My son, will uh, he'll replay conversations I have in the car with friends Hey, Peters, how are you doing today? My friend Brian Peters and all these things. He can repeat everything. It's crazy how much kids listen. You know this. But how often that we treat Jesus like that. We in the church treat this costly grace, this cheap grace, and as long as it's convenient for us, we pull it up and we pull it out and we do this and we do that. Or when your wife says, husbands, I don't think my wife's in here. I don't know if she is. There she is. My wife doesn't do this for the record, but husbands, boyfriends, future boyfriends, future husbands, widows, widowers, you understand this. When, when your spouse says, well, for instance, she needs a new dress, you're like, great. She only spent money on that dress. It might have been a lot, but praise God, it was only a dress. But then the text comes in. You, oh, come on. You know where this is going. <laughs> then she tells you she had to buy shoes to match the dress. Okay. And then she has to buy a purse and a belt and a hairpiece and so earrings. I said socks. That, that's a guy thing. <laughs> and a necklace. And the, I didn't have all this in my notes. Tina, I should have called you. I'll have to ask Jeff about this. 
But, but you see where this goes. It starts with one thing, and it goes and goes. Guys, you do this all the time. Yeah, I'm just going to go to the baseball game. Yeah, 20 hot dogs later and, and five Diet Cokes later, you're doing the same thing as your wife does in the dress. Come on, guys. You do this all the time. But isn't this how many people treat Jesus? We treat Jesus this way. We, we receive him. We say we receive him, but, but we want Jesus to come in our life in order to add something that, 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 that we already have. That's, that's why the worst thing you can tell someone is, you know, you got a good life, you got a good kid, you got a good wife, but you really just need to add Jesus to your life. That's not the gospel. Jesus is not a cherry on the top of a wonderful life. He's not a present life to make it more wonderful. Jesus, to receive him, is to do something that is not, is just, it's crazy to think about. That's why when we share, we look at people and we say, I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how many things you have or don't have. I, your life is rotten. It's vain. Your life is senseless without Jesus Christ. I don't care what else you have. You need Jesus. You need to receive Jesus and push everything else aside until you get to that point. That's what it means to receive Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus isn't a ticket to heaven. Jesus isn't someone who can bless your life. He is your life. He's everything. That's what it means to receive Jesus Christ. What does it mean in the life of a new believer? I mean, when I was a new believer, I, I, would, I would say Jesus was all to me, but I really didn't know what that meant. Jesus, I love you. I care for you, but, but I don't understand it anymore because every more I see this passing world and more of my sin and more of my frailty, I question at times, Lord, do I know you? I mean, think about this. What, what's heaven going to be like? I mean, there's going to be streets of gold. Isn't that going to be awesome? It's going to be great. Do you know what? Those streets of gold, they're there, but you'll get bored of walking on them after a while, aren't you? Someone says, man, I love those pearly gates. Great. You know what? You could swing on a gate all day. I don't know about you, but swinging on a gate gets boring after a while, doesn't it? Or what about all these things? I mean, what do you do? Do you swing on them? Do you jump on them? Do you have races on them? I don't know. But after a few thousand years of doing that, you're going to get bored in tears. What is heaven all about? What is Christ all about? It's about himself. Heaven is going to be filled with him. It's going to be about him. And one of the big differences between an old believer and a new believer is a new believer will say, Jesus, I love you, but the more you get with Christ, the more you love Christ, and you realize that to receive Christ isn't just a flu shot, it's your life, you'll say to Christ, my faith isn't strong enough, my, my failures are here, my, 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 my sin is here, Lord, help me. But the more you seek Him in those ways, the more it proves you are about costly grace and not cheap grace. You're more about Jesus than you realize if I want anything for you this year, church, is that we would stop looking inside because we won't find anything there. That we would look to Christ and His glory and salvation to motivate us to do all that we've been called to do as Christians and as a church. That's what it means to receive Christ. I'll leave you with just a couple quick things, and Amy will put these on the screen. Just some practical takeaways as we do. And Amy, this will be under the how should we respond. First off, to receive Jesus is to put away all past trophies, and refuse all accolades, and get your head stamped with recipient of grace. Dear Christian, stop trying to earn God's favor today, and rest in the truth that because of Jesus, you are already in His family. 
God's grace and forgiveness, while free, are always costly for the giver. But the gospel does not call us to receive Christ as an addition to our life, but as your life. Look, Christian, if you are looking around and maybe you can't buy the presents other people can buy. Let's speak very superficially for a moment. Maybe you can't afford the things other people can afford. Praise God for that. Because God has you right where He wants you. Church, maybe we can't do the big things other churches do. But praise God, we have the ministry field that we have. Amen? We've been given what we have been given. You're not only called to be a recipient of the work of grace, but an instrument of grace as well. Look, how do we stop things from festering in the church? We remember each other as what we are. You have been saved by grace. I've been saved by grace. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We've all received Christ, and the radical transformation of that is I'm going to try and outdo you in honor, and you're going to try and outdo me in honor. It's crazy, isn't it? backwards, but welcome to God's grace in receiving Jesus Christ. Three quick things. Can I just tell you this holiday season, don't let Jesus, quote unquote, distract you from Jesus. What? Don't let Jesus distract you from Jesus. What am I saying? There's a great danger of missing the point. I'm not referring to uh, materialism or consumption, but, but I'm talking about Christmas religiosity. It's very easy around this time of year to set up our nativity scenes, our Christmas trees, host our pageants and cantatas, read the story with our families, attend every church function while the doors open, and insist to ourselves and others that Jesus is the reason for the season and yet not see Jesus at all. With the eyes of the heart, I mean, I'm not talking physically, of course. But I suppose that there's something about indulging in religious Christmas training that lulls us into thinking that we are actually better with Christ than we are, that we're in spiritual seasonal autopilot going through the festive sentimental motions. Meanwhile, the real person, Jesus Christ, the one we've received, is neglected in favor of his plastic, paper, and video representations. Don't get distracted from the biblical Jesus by the cultural Jesus. Can I tell you that again? This year, I plead with you to pray, Spirit, would you interrupt my nice Christmas with the power of Jesus' gospel? Secondly, we don't put Jesus back into anything, including Christmas. Receiving this Christ is receiving a Jesus who puts us in the right place. He puts us into Himself. We don't have to put Jesus back in Christmas, guys. If we are fighting a war, if you get more upset when someone says Jesus isn't the reason for the season, your heart is in the wrong place. Jesus is the reason for every season. Jesus is the reason for February 27th as well as August 3rd. I have no idea what those dates mean. I just pulled those out of my hat. But do you see what we're saying? To receive Christ, you don't have to worry about putting Him back in Christmas. We need to worry about putting Him back in first place of our lives, and then everything else will fall into place. Jesus is not a tales, talisman to be invoked or a Christianity to be put on. He's a daily master and a lovely one. Isn't He so gracious? Isn't our Christ so lovely that He loves us where we are, yet He doesn't keep us there, that He, he, he allows us to talk to Him, to pray to Him, to worship Him, and to come worship and bow down as we sang this morning? And finally, the best way you're going to, to, to celebrate receiving this Jesus is to get really low. Some of y'all are already thinking about the, uh, uh, what's that game you put out the bar? What am I trying to say? Limbo, thank you. The limbo bar. Some of you are like, how low can you go? No, it's not, it's not what we're talking about here, all right? 
But if you've received the biblical Jesus, and I would say most in this room have, then Jesus' manger and cross are both compelling because they make you stoop down in silent wonder and adoring love and say, why me? Why us? Why come at all? Why not just throw us into hell? But if our gospel does not increasingly humble, astonish, gladden, and free us to follow Jesus, then we can get snookered by any fraud that comes our way. The most gracious work of God in our lives is when we realize that Christmas is not about the presents, like the gifts, you know, but the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Christ Himself came down to us, and He allows us to receive Him. He allows us to know Him. He allows us to share Him. What an awesome thing. It's not one of those, if you pay us $100, we'll give you our plan, and then you got to go on every Facebook post and like advertise your weight loss program, your sleeping pillow, and your creams, and all this stuff that you see. It's not an Amway thing. To receive Jesus is receive the most humbling thing ever. If God were to wreck your budget this holiday season where you could buy no presents for anyone else, you have the greatest present ever, don't we? In Jesus Christ. Guys, we have so much to celebrate. As a Christian, I pray as we close here that you remember you have received Christ. And you notice what verse 12 said? Who gave you that right? Did you earn that right? No. Were you pretty enough for that right? Well, you might be pretty. Were you strong enough? No. 